Well, thanks, Pastor Ted. Yeah. Good morning, Grace Church family. It is such a joy to be together with you this morning. Excited for our time. Um, as Pastor Ted said, my name is Josh Good, and I have been connected with and involved in youth ministry for the past 15 years. Ten of those years as a youth pastor at an EC church about an hour from here. And it has just been a joy for me to point students toward who they are, their identity in Christ, toward who God is, and toward what God is calling them to do. And it's, it's been amazing to see young people rise up as they recognize their identity and step into their God-given purpose. It's been awesome to see the things that God is able to do through the next generation. And as Pastor Ted mentioned, now I serve with a ministry called Christian Endeavor, which exists in 24 states around the U.S. and 52 countries around the world. And, and again, seeing young people rising up to who they are and who God is and what God is calling them to and really building the kingdom of God in some remarkable ways is just an amazing thing to see. And I love to see young people doing that. Now, I bring all of that up to say that it doesn't even compare with having teenagers in my own house right now. So I have four children. The oldest two are in middle school right now. And man, it has been awesome and terrifying and overwhelming. And there's just been times where I am like, God, I don't know what's going on or exactly what's happening. Help me to navigate my way through this. You know, I kind of feel like I'm pretty good at understanding youth culture. I mean, that's my occupation. That's my vocation. That's what I study every day. But then my kids will just hit me with something out of left field that I'm like, I don't even know. I have no idea. This past Friday, I was picking my children up from school. We, we picked them up and we were driving home and my daughter, who's in middle school, she says, Dad, somebody rizzed me up today. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Okay, okay, so riz is short for charisma. Okay, okay, so riz means that like somebody sees charisma or character or value in them. So I'm like, okay, it, it's a good thing. So I said, daughter, that's great, right? And she said, Dad, no, no. Oh, uh, and at this point, everybody in the car is dialed in. Like, oh, Dad doesn't know what he's talking about. So they're dialed in. And I said, so, so Riz is not a good thing? And she's like, oh, no, it is. It is a good thing, just not in this case. This was the bad kind. But it is a good thing, but this was not a good thing. And I'm like, at this point, you're just making stuff up. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that, that makes even less sense than the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl again this year, right? And even if you are Gen Z, you might also be like, what? What is that? Because my kids are actually Gen Alpha, and so they have their, all, their own thing going on, and who knows? And this interaction, I mean, totally no big deal, right? It's very small interaction, but I think... It's really, it really showcases what we so often feel 
when we try to approach the next generation. Like when we try to say, man, what makes them tick? And how are they wired? What are they focused on? What are they passionate about? And, and how do we help point them to the truths of the gospel and show them the love of Christ and the importance of being connected to a local church? So often we can be like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't know how to approach this. And so as a church, you're at a really exciting point. As you are going to be spending the next few weeks, the coming weeks, focused on Ephesians 4, that's going to be so powerful because you're going to look at this first half of Ephesians 4 from a number of different ways, a number of different angles, and pull out a number of different applications from it. As you're really seeking to be a church that focuses on making disciples who make disciples this is going to be excellent. And so for me this morning, as part of that, I want to ask a number of incredibly hard questions when it comes to the next generation. Questions that I think all of us are really wrestling with and really trying to understand. And I'm going to hope to also give some very pointed and clear answers to those questions. Really, really, what does it mean to make disciples who make disciples? So what is a disciple and how do we correctly disciple the next generation? And even questions like, as we look at the next generation, how do we understand, what do we do with some really concerning and confusing aspects of young people. And even questions like, doesn't Ephesians 4 tell us that it's the pastor's job to disciple? Isn't that, well, shouldn't we leave discipleship to maybe just all people that wear sandals all the time? And even maybe just those crazy people who like to hang out and stay up all night. Isn't that really the role of our leaders and pastors to disciple the next generation? And questions like, what does it mean to connect with and point the next generation to Jesus? Because that, that's really what it's about, right? That's really our heart. We, we might joke about the next generation. It's a lot of fun to talk about generational differences and the challenges that come up because of them. But all jokes aside, at the core, our desire is to see young people passionately pursue Jesus and to see their lives be transformed by the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the, provi the provision of God. That's what we desire. We desire for young people to be deeply and intentionally connected with our church family so that they can be propelled out in the world to do the things that God is calling them to do. So what does that look like? How can we accomplish that? Ephesians 4 lays out a roadmap for how we can understand and answer these questions that I've just laid out. 
And as we take an intentional look at Ephesians 4 this morning, I think it has some really powerful things to say for how we disciple the next generation. So as we dive in, the starting point, where I want to begin is saying, what's the goal? Where are we trying to get to? Because that's going to be really instructive for how we understand the process. And so, again, in other words, what is a disciple and how do we make disciples? I I think that's an incredibly important place to start. And so I'm going to go to... I knew that tech would mess us up. Yeah, we're done. Fast forward. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, verse 12. Let's let's turn there in our Bibles. And this is actually verse 13 of Ephesians 4. And this... This section, right at the end of verse 13 of Ephesians 4, gives us a definition of discipleship. And we made it through. It's back up on the screens. And man, Tech Booth, you guys are awesome. They told me in the first service that I moved around a little bit too much. So I'm going to try to dance this time to see if the live stream can keep up with me. All right. What is discipleship? The end of verse 13, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So becoming a disciple, being a disciple means that we begin to act like and look like and behave like Christ. So whatever we're pursuing as we're following, being a disciple just means to follow. So whatever we're pursuing, whatever we're focused on, whatever we're giving our attention to, that is what we become more like. So being a disciple of Christ, therefore, would mean that we are actively pursuing and seeking to become more like Jesus, measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Look like Jesus. Now that's not really revelatory, right? Everything I just said is, I think, stuff that Pastor Ted said before I started talking. And if I would have asked each of us to describe what a disciple of Jesus is, we would have come up with something very much like that. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, means looking and acting and behaving like the one we're following, right? Measuring up, becoming like Christ. So this is stuff that we have already talked about. But let me kind of go a a layer deeper with this because I think in Ephesians 4, we're given even more of a roadmap to understand what discipleship is. Not just becoming like Jesus, but we're given an insight into doing that. Becoming like Christ is a four-dimensional process. So as we seek to become like Jesus there, are four distinct areas that we need to grow in as we seek to become like Christ. So let me talk through each of these and then explain how they apply to us. So as we seek to be a disciple of Christ, to seek after Christ, to grow up into the full measure of Jesus, the first dimension is to confess. 
And this comes from verse 13 where it says, be mature in the Lord. Grow up in our faith. Mature in our likeness of Jesus and the Lord. And that begins with confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But it it doesn't end there, right? I, I think it's relatively easy to confess that verbally, right? It's relatively easy to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but that also needs to apply to every area of our lives. Every interaction, every decision, every conversation, every thought, we need to confess Christ in all of those areas. And that, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where it really becomes difficult to say, moving from just verbally saying it to having the entirety of our lives be about it. So our lives need to confess that Jesus is Lord. So what does it look like to pursue Jesus? Well, in the first area, we confess, we mature up in our relationship with the Lord. We confess with our words and our lifestyle that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, it means we connect. We connect into the local body of Christ. And this, what I'm talking about with connection here isn't just attending a program, isn't just attending on a Sunday morning. You know, this is is amazing and important what we do every Sunday morning, but we can actually do this without connecting to each other. We can attend a Sunday morning without meaningfully connecting. So I think as we think about the idea of connecting, it's all about really doing the intentional work of building each other up, of saying we're going to be in true relationship with each other. We're going to engage deeply with each other, and we're going to challenge each other to rise up to the things that God is calling us to do. And and that's absolutely vital for believers as we seek to confess Jesus with our words and our lifestyle, connecting into the local body. Absolutely critical. And the third dimension would be collaborating, not just with our local church, but with other believers, other Christians in our town, in our region, in our nation, and around the world. Um, And that's often, that can be a difficult thing to do, right? For me, as I was driving here this morning, I had this distinct sense of like, ah, I'm going back to be with my people. Because I spent 10 years as a youth pastor in an EC church, so this felt like Man, I know what to expect. I know what's coming. I know how this is going to work. In Christian Endeavor, I have the opportunity to preach and speak and connect with a number of different churches. And, man, some of those other Christians do some weird stuff, right? They they just do some stuff that, that we don't do. But yet, what's true is that there are other Christians who have different denominational distinctives who also deeply love Jesus. Right, And I think it's so easy in our world to just think individualistically or just think, well, here's what I'm comfortable with, and so I'm going to stick with that. But I think it's so vital that we seek to build unity 
with other believers in our, in our region, our nation, and around the world, particularly as our world in, increasingly becomes divisive and divided and antagonistic to Christians, showcasing unity in God's church is absolutely critical. This idea of, of co-laboring, right? Collaborate, co-labor with other Christians to continue to expand the kingdom is so important. And I believe that if we work to confess and connect and collaborate, that's going to position us, that's going to enable us to contribute out into the world, right? We've been commissioned to go out into the world and be the good news and speak the good news and spread the gospel about Jesus to contribute the goodness of God into a world that's divided and dark and broken. That's such an important work for us to do. And, and so these are, as we look at Ephesians 4, these are the four dimensions of what it means to pursue Jesus and live a life according to what he's calling us to. Live, live a life that looks like Jesus. And if you have been connected with Christian Endeavor in the past, if you're a longtime CEer, you might kind of recognize what I'm talking about here because these are actually what was known many years ago as the four cardinal principles of Christian Endeavor. And now I'm expressing them using four C words this morning because I feel like every sermon needs alliteration, right? I just had to bring that in here. So these are the dimensions. If, if we seek to know, all right, I want to pursue Jesus. I want to be his disciple. What does that look like? It looks like growing in these four areas, confessing, connecting, collaborating, and contributing. And this really then begs the question, why isn't the next generation doing these things, right? What's going on that we don't see this happening in the next generation? Now, I want to be careful as I say that because it's kind of easy to just paint a broad brushstroke of here's what's wrong with the next generation. That, that's not what I mean. In fact, as I've connected with churches and young people across the country and the world, I've seen young people who are absolutely sold out to pursuing Jesus and staying focused on him and stepping into the things that God is calling them to. Before this service, I got to hang out with some gym students. And man, my impression of them is that they love Jesus deeply and they're pursuing God and they know what it looks like to be a disciple. And so there are absolutely young people pursuing the things that God is calling them to. As we look into this next generation, we can see young people being passionate about the gospel and living for Christ. And we can also see that there are some realities of young people that are pretty concerning. And I can even just speak for my generation. I'm a millennial. And if you think about how many millions and millions of dollars were poured into youth ministry when I was a 
a young person? And compare that to how many people my age are continuing to stay focused on Jesus. It is not a good comparison, right? There was so much money poured into youth ministry into helping young people understand Jesus. And the millennial generation is the first generation where Christianity is in the minority. There are less people pursuing Jesus than there are people not pursuing Jesus. And I think as we look at Gen Z and Gen Alpha, we see that same trajectory of like more and more young people deconstructing, not being interested in being part of a local church, having a faith that just gets wrecked and a focus that's lost after they graduate. I mean, these are, these are the trends we see. So, so this really begs the question, why do we not see this four-dimensional discipleship happening in the next generation? I think there's a lot of answers to that question, but let me give you really one answer with three layers to it. Why is the next generation not pursuing Jesus four-dimensionally? Number one, and this is the overarching idea, in large part, we have redefined discipleship from something active to something passive. So again, as we look at Ephesians 4, and we look at the four-dimensional approach to living passionately for Christ, we can see action in that. We can see that, yeah, it involves getting up and getting going and doing things and being actively engaged. And I think we would all theoretically give assent to that. We would say, yeah, of course, absolutely, discipleship involves those four dimensions, for sure. But when we look at the de facto reality of the American and the Western church, there's often a difference, right? And so when I say we have redefined discipleship, what I mean is the Western church of the past 50 or 60 years has moved discipleship from being something active, something that we do, to something that we just consume. Like, well, I just want to learn about Jesus in a way that's comfortable for me, in a way that's familiar to me, in a way that I know about and can kind of control. Again, it's in the box, and I know it's in the box, so let's just keep doing what's in the box. That's kind of how we've redefined what it means to pursue Jesus. And I don't think it's any, like, bad intention of people saying, let's redefine discipleship. I I think it's just that in our natural humanness, we kind of like to be entertained. And we kind of like to do things that are a little bit easier than they are uncomfortable. And we like things to be predictable. And so it's so easy for that to, to be brought into the way that we pursue Jesus. And even in youth ministry, oftentimes I see this where what do we want to accomplish in youth ministry? Well, we want, we want young people to show up. We want them to have fun. And we want them to learn about Jesus. And, and those are great and important goals. Those are good things. But if that's all that it is, then we've kind of just set the bar way down here. 
right? If all we want young people to do is, is show up and have fun and, and hear some important stuff, that's all passive, right? Rather than being active, oftentimes we just call young people to be passive. And so in so many ways in the church in America and across the West, we've taken something that in Ephesians 4 is active and we've made it passive or me-focused or consumer-based, which goes to a next layer. And this is a little scary, and I'm just kind of speaking openly about this. There are other things besides church that are more entertaining than church. I know, I know. Don't tell Pastor Ted that I said this. And I think we kind of knew this, right? We knew that more people are going to be watching the Super Bowl than attending our church. But I think it was COVID that really brought this into the light. Like we couldn't do anything but recognize this truth that, yeah, it's a lot more comfortable to kind of view church online, consume some information in my jammies with my coffee on my couch than it is to come to church. And, and that's okay because, listen, the church, we are not designed to be a source of entertainment, right? When we look at Ephesians 4, the paradigm is not come and be entertained. It's pursue Jesus four-dimensionally. So we're not set up. Our goal is not to just entertain people unless we've redefined discipleship to be that. And I believe, again, and I think you're understanding that in a lot of ways we have, there's been a shift in how we're defining what it means to be a disciple. And the hard reality is there are things that are a lot more entertaining than coming to church. And to take this a layer deeper, people are also going to find their creative fulfillment somewhere. And now, Josh, you might be like, well, I thought, I thought you just said people want to be entertained and we want to consume stuff. Absolutely. In our natural fallenness, we are pulled toward things that are easy and comfortable and just like, well, just feed me what I want. Let me consume things that are easy and don't ask me too much. We're absolutely pulled to that. But... We're naturally designed by the creator of the universe. We have this like innate desire to create and to contribute and to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves and to do something that's meaningful. And so we have this innate wiring within us and that's awesome because the church is like the place for people to tap into that creative potential. The church is the place where people can discover their God-given gifts and begin to practice and exercise what God is calling them to. Unless we've defined discipleship as a passive activity. Right? In this case, if we have defined discipleship as just come and be entertained then people are, with that hunger, people have this hunger to do and to create and to contribute. They're going to find 
a creative outlet for that somewhere else. Frankly, in doing things that are not building up the kingdom of God. And so what do we do? If this is the reality, what can we do? How can we intentionally be about making disciples who make disciples? How can we intentionally define discipleship at Grace Church as an active thing that we invite young people to be part of? We're going to get there. I want to give you some pointed answers to that question in just a second. But I think there's an important place to go before then. I think we've talked about the problem, understanding why we don't see young people connecting and deeply pursuing Christ. And we want to get to, okay, well, what do we do about it? But in between there, I think it's really important to talk about, well, what's my role? What's my role in all of this? Up on the screen is verse 11 of Ephesians 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to do four-dimensional discipleship. So I think there it is. Uh, It is the responsibility of our leaders and pastors to do the work. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not any of these people. And so, Pastor Ted, Chuck, I mean, you guys go for it, right? Uh, we can just attend, and we don't have to make disciples who make disciples. I think that is a very appropriate conclusion if we read this verse by itself using our 21st century framework, all right? And, and I think that's, that's why so many people have reached that conclusion, that we'll just, we'll just let the leadership do the stuff and, and we can just consume and we can just be here and, and yeah, pursue Jesus on our own, but, but they, can, they can disciple the next generation. That's why so many people have reached that conclusion Because it seems like it makes sense. But I think if we look at Ephesians 4 as a whole, we'll see that this type of logic really begins to break down. I don't have it on a slide, but go to verse 7 of Ephesians 4. Verse 7 says, However, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So each one of us, as we we think about building each other up and creating unity within the body of Christ, each one of us has a special gift, a special role to play in that. Let's go over to verse 16. And this is where it really hits home. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so what I, what I think we can see here from looking at all the first half of Ephesians 4 is that this idea of leadership is really sandwiched between 
a discussion of we all have a part to play. And so I think it's appropriate to say healthy leadership and corporate responsibility work together. I don't think it's an either or thing. I don't think the writer of Ephesians was saying we can just receive and the leaders do. No, the healthy leadership and leadership structure, absolutely important as we all have corporate responsibility. Each one of us as a church family, we need to be laser focused on discipling the next generation so that they can go out and make disciples. So how do we do this? What does this look like? And as I close my message this morning, I want to give you just a few practical ways to understand how we can equip and empower and disciple the next generation. Number one is recognize the terrain. Recognize the landscape that we're all in right now. And, and that's that landscape of we know discipleship is four-dimensional. We know discipleship needs to be active. Pursuing Jesus is something we actively do. But we receive messages from all sides telling us, well, just, just consume or just be entertained or just do what makes you happy or just make sure that you're comfortable, right? And, and we are all receiving those messages, but so often young people don't have the framework or the understanding or the discernment to recognize what's going on. Being honest, sometimes we don't have the framework or the discernment to understand that, that we're being told to consume and f be focused on ourselves. But particularly young people, this is just the world that they've been living in, the soup that they've been swimming in. And so we need to recognize that, that they're being told all of these messages and, and young people have this innate desire to contribute and to do something of value and meaning. If you think about especially the number of young people who desire to be influencers. So I, I saw recently uh, a poll of what's your dream job? Overwhelmingly, something like 85% of young people say they hope to be influencers on social media. And at first we might think, man, that's, that's weird and creepy and uh, what's going on? Until we start to recognize that that's that God-given desire to do something of value, to do something that's worth following, right? And all of a sudden, we can recognize that as that's how God has wired and designed young people. They're just trying to find a way or a place to express it. So recognizing the terrain, recognizing that young people are being told to consume and have this desire to contribute. And they, they need a place to be able to use that God-given desire. So recognize that terrain. Number two is live out the four C's. I think more effective than telling young people to come to church, more effective than telling young people they should stay focused on Jesus is when we have the hunger and the desire and the drive to confess 
connect, collaborate, and contribute. When young people see that in us, it'll be like they'll be drawn to that. They might say, man, that, that guy, he's weird, and I don't understand what's going on with his beard, but, but there's something about him. Like he's living by, by a different framework. And, and that's my hope. I have given up all hope of being relevant or cool Right, my, my kids in the car on Friday, they were like, dad doesn't get it. He completely doesn't get it. But my hope is that as I seek to confess and connect and collaborate and contribute, if I'm actively doing that, man, I believe that the young people around us, if we're actively doing that, I believe that young people around us will start saying, what is going on? They are living by a different framework of the world. And I believe young people will, will begin to recognize that the stuff they're being sold, like it's all about you, focus on yourself, do what makes you happy. If they can compare that to something different, a different framework that we're living, they're going to be drawn to the depth of what we're offering in Jesus. So living out this four-dimensional discipleship is absolutely key. And finally, give young people a seat at the table. And what I mean by this is if our desire is to help young people actively pursue Christ, if we want our church to be a place where young people can come and live into the truths of what God is calling them to, how God has, has created them, and what God is propelling them to do. If we want our church to be that kind of place, then we have to offer them a seat at the table. And th- I think that's distinct from giving them some jobs to do. Right? So often we, and I'm speaking to myself, we're tempted to say, I have figured out the box. I know what we need to do, so you, can, you just do this, and you just do this. We're not changing the box. We're not doing that differently, but I need you to do this and this. That's good. I think growth can happen from give, being given tasks, but even more so, if we want young people to actively engage their faith, then we have to be willing to give them true ownership and responsibility. I think of the example of the U.S. Air Force, where they'll take a young person out of high school, after graduation, train them for just a few years, and then allow them to fly an aircraft that's worth about $20 million. I mean, that, that level of like, here you go, we believe in you and we trust you and we're giving you this level of responsibility. That's wild. And if you layer that over the church, what would it take for us to give young people that level of responsibility, control over money, and authority to go and do? That's a pretty convicting thought. And so giving young people a seat at the table is particularly scary because it involves often us us getting uncomfortable. Again, we've figured out the box and we're comfortable in the box, but 
But what does God want to do? What new thing does God have in mind that he wants to do in and through the next generation? And how can we be a part of seeing that be realized? Confess, connect, collaborate, and contribute. I believe if, if we can stay focused on this type of discipleship, if we can be leaning into these things that God is calling us to do, we are going to see God work powerfully and in mighty ways. And I also believe that there are going to be times, much like when I was in the car on Friday, there's going to be times as we seek to disciple the next generation where we just say, I don't understand. I am not sure exactly what's going on. And we're going to have to, in humility, say, God, help me out. But what we do know, what we can be absolutely certain of, is that God wants every young person to be drawn to himself. God wants, God desires a relationship with every young person, and he has created every young person with incredible value and worth and potential, and he's positioned us to call that out of the next generation. And I believe as we do that, again, we're going to see God do some incredible things in our midst and through the young people that God has put in our sphere of influence. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy at work in our lives. God, give us the courage to confess and connect and collaborate and contribute. Give us, give us the wisdom and the discernment to actively pursue you. And God, I pray that you would give us a laser focus on raising up the next generation. Give us the conviction that, that young people have incredible potential and give us the wisdom to know how to steward that and unleash that for your glory. And Jesus, we love you. Thanks for loving us first. Amen.